morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever it is, wherever you are today. I'm Ali Amagasu coming to you with the year-end episode of Cloud Unfiltered. We just got back from a week at KubeCon where we did five different interviews with folks from all kinds of different companies. It was fantastic, but now we're back home and we're gonna talk to somebody from the Cisco family today. Today we're joined with three gentlemen from AppDynamics, Robbie Lockman, who's a technical evangelist, Marco Coulter, also a technical evangelist, and finally, Kyle Tyak, a manager of technical evangelists. So it's just a whole raft of technical evangelism over there. Coming to us from Philadelphia, I believe. Good morning, gentlemen, or good afternoon, really. Good afternoon on this side of the country, yeah. Excellent, it's a pleasure to meet you. And the man who needs no introduction at all, coming to us from his basement in upstate Michigan, Pete. That's underground nerd layer. Let's, let's oh. lay it. If, if, if basement doesn't sound nearly as cool, right? And, and because you wore your Santa hat and because I'm getting on my flight to go to my Disney World vacation tomorrow, I'm wearing my Santa goofy ears hat. <laughs> Just in case anybody didn't believe it was a nerd layer, the goofy ears on the Santa hat closed the deal. So apt you guys, I will say, uh, Robbie can confirm this, I came up and bothered him at KubeCon because I've wanted to have you on the show for a long time. So you have been elusive and I'm thrilled to have you here. I obviously know what you do, Pete knows what you do, but for the audience who may not know what AppDynamics is, what role it plays uh, within the Cisco portfolio, why don't you take a moment to kind of summarize your your division, your team, the whole, the whole nine yards. Oh, absolutely. Thanks, Ali. So if we take a look at AppDynamics over the past decade, uh, we focus on a vertical called APM, Application Performance Management. And for those who are unfamiliar with what the APM solution does, the APM solution traditionally does three things. One, it helps you monitor your application. Uh, two, it helps profile your application. And three, it helps to alert if your SLAs are out of bounds. Um, we were we're starting to evolve now from a traditional APM solution. We're actually having a lot of business justification, uh, which my colleague Marco Coulter uh, could talk about, but we're very excited to be here in the Cisco family and also bringing a lot of power and um, decision-making to the Cisco brand in terms of helping making technical decisions uh, for applications. That was so, a very uh, technical answer. For the less technical audience out there, what does is, what is AppD do for, for the end user, for the customer that uses this? Because I've been demoed this product and it knocked my socks off. And I'm not a person with a particular ton of technical depth, but I got it. I got how valuable it was. Yeah, so I'll, I'll jump in on that one, Ali. I think the core of what AppD does is really about helping to ensure that our customers can provide the best customer experience possible. So if you look at a customer of ours like Carhartt as a use case, you know they uh, they are a traditional clothing uh, company. They have a retail outlet online now, um, and even the best prepared companies on days like Black Friday will run into issues. There's lots of traffic on the internet. Everybody's using their website, and they run into outages. Um, every second that their website goes down, that could mean millions of dollars in lost revenue. So something like an APM solution that AppD provides can help them more quickly uh, find and address issues that their customers may be experiencing. And oftentimes they know about it before it even impacts their customer on the end. So really we're helping to ensure that the customers are getting the best experience possible. That is what I, that is what I got from that demo and, and what I liked. You know, I think that's a great answer, Kyle. And I think that one of the favorite things for me personally about the product is is the correlation of the information that we get that user experience. You know, you, we can we can ping service. We we have ways of testing that experience out, and we're gathering that together with every level of piece that an application relies on. Like you know, there's the code of the application, and that's what we tend to focus on these days. But there's the infrastructure underneath, and we're grabbing that information as well 
we're bringing all that information together. So we're sort of correlating that user experience, the application experience. And, and one of the great things about Business IQ, which is sort of, you know, the, the, the additional piece of App Dynamics as offerings, is that it's now correlating in the business side. You know, it's tracking not just a, a transaction that we think of in a Java code or a web server or something like that, but it's tracking the business transaction, the whole experience that the customer has from arriving at your site and, you know, when they're filling the cart and that's a business transaction and when they're checking out and that's a business transaction. And I think that that's, you know, one of our major strengths is the way that we bring all that, you know, we discover it magically and we bring it all together to correlate that information on top of everything that Ravi and Kyle have talked about. I can tell you guys are evangelists. You love talking <laughs> about this product. We definitely do. It's so a Pete, cool, it's fun. Pete, you want to jump in? Yeah, so I, I even think calling you guys a performance management tool sells it short because some of the stuff that Marco was just talking about, right? Can you guys talk a little bit? Marco started talking about business transactions. And, and the one that gets me is improving the mean time to resolution because that, that's less time that you have to pull an engineer, a developer off of a sprint to go work in some war room somewhere. T talk about how the transactional nature of app dynamics helps reduce that mean time to resolution and, and keeps that developer productive with what he or she is doing in the sprint. Right, so I'll start off on that one, Pete. I mean, if you think about the traditional means to solving a problem in, in the web, right, uh, with an application, any software base, you're going to start by, you know, a problem occurs. Right? So you're looking at the problem and how do you figure out where it exists? Well, let's say you work for a large enterprise company that's got hundreds of millions of lines of code and hundreds of applications, you know, all across the internet, essentially. Where do you even start? It's a complete needle in a haystack scenario. So with things like business transactions, it immediately helps you to start looking at the specific piece of your application or piece of the customer journey where an issue might be occurring. Uh, with something like Marco mentioned, like business IQ, you're not just looking at a specific transaction, but you'd be able to look at things at a much higher level. So if you're the business and you know on a Tuesday from past history, from baselines that AppDynamics has generated for you or from other sources of information that you, know, you expect to see a certain revenue amount occurring at four o'clock on a Tuesday. Um, or you expect to see a general, you know, 80 percent, um, you know, uh, conversion funnel happening in your checkout process. If suddenly that drops down to 10 percent, that's a business metric that you're looking at, but it's going to cue you into a greater issue with the application. From there, you can use the rest of the App Dynamics tool to start tracing down through the stack to figure out where exactly that that uh, that error is occurring whether it's in a, a SQL query or a database call. Actually, as far as the meantime to resolution, it's never just one developer that's involved. You've got a, a project manager that gets called in, or you've got a QA team that gets called in on top of somebody from the network team, somebody from the operations team, you know? So, so, so on top of that, it's just like, in fact, normally when it begins, you have everybody in the war room, right? Every man and their dog is in there because you're kind of like, we don't know. We just know something bad is going on. And, you, and you're not even getting close to going, this is you know, where it began. And, and that sort of root cause analysis and so on is, is, you know, one of the great challenges of operations in general. And I, and I think oh, like the other aspect that I love is, is just the discovery aspect. That when you're looking at, um, at, at a complex application in today's world, and, and Ravi, you can expand on this, but, but it's about like, there'll be pieces there that you didn't realize you were depending on. And one of the things I loved is that, you know, we occasionally in our discovery map, there'll be a sort of little arrow off to the side of like, Look, this goes out to some HTTP address. There's some API out there. We're not monitoring that, but I can see it go out and I see it come back. So you're even discovering things about your application that you weren't necessarily aware you were dependent on. And I mean, Ravi, like, yeah. you know, the applications have got simpler, right? 
Um, actually, the adverse has happened if we look at distributed <laughs> applications in the last you know, 10 or 15 years. They've actually become much more distributed. Uh, going back to the points that Kyle and Marcos made is that it's really a needle in the haystack. You know, it's really charting the entire, maybe rephrasing business transaction to user journey, right? So from my, my point of view, uh, a user has so much sentiment from the time they start to the time they end. Uh, in their particular interaction with the system, uh, there could be maybe 30 to 40 boundary or intermediate steps. And from a pr my, my prior life, I used to be an application owner, uh, and it's it's very difficult to chart all that, which is what I like to call the fog of development. You know, our typical customers have hundreds of endpoints. You know, if you look at production systems, there's three, four, five, six hundred different endpoints that an application has. Going back to Kyle's example, where do you start, right? There's multiple owners, there's multiple parties involved. Where do you start pointing the finger? And with App Dynamics, you could clearly pinpoint uh, where the, the bottleneck or problem spot is. So it's very exciting to reduce MPTR uh, by educating and providing learnings uh, to folks who need it really quickly. Now, the mechanics of that, if, if I can this, if I can just, I promise, Ali, I won't get any, any lower level or nerdier than this, right? <laughs> I mean, you guys are largely connecting to the language runtimes in which these different components work. Right, and I think Marco, you mentioned a minute ago, if you're attached with an agent in the runtime, that's where you can see all the stuff that is coming into that runtime and exiting that runtime. You guys put some transactional IDs on top of that, and then you know correlate it all instead of instead of. I mean, in the old days, you had to go looking through, go look through log files and try to manually attach IDs or 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 manually well, you had to open the code and put your own yeah exactly so the thing that freaks me out of the first time i saw an app d demo were were two things number one that when some problem happens depending upon the runtime you guys can say oh yeah line 32 of you know barf.java just failed and that's why you got to fix it and that you don't have to draw your application architecture in PowerPoint anymore because AppD will do it for you, right? Yeah, I mean, we're sorry, we're sorry, Vigio. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so that kind of stuff. I mean, when it puts it in that context, that that's why I say I think to call App Dynamics a performance tool really sells it short because it, it really gives you this holistic view of not just the components of the application, but in some of these business transactions you're talking about, can really tell you something about how that application is being used by your user base. Definitely. And and not even, you know, you made a great example of where the code is actually broken, but even when it slows down, like, you know, it's great sometimes to drill into SQL, you know, we look into databases and you drill in and you see, okay, this is the SQL line that is causing the slowdown. You know, this is the, the, the query that is slowing down this whole transaction that runs across multiple servers. Right. Now, you mentioned uh, MTTR, mean time to innocence, right? So a lot of times you hear jokes <laughs> in the scenario and this is particularly um, you know important for a lot of the the Cisco customer base when it's you know the network gets blamed all the time so in software development it's always well it's the database right but it's also often well it's the network because it's the thing that we can just point blame at where there's nobody here to defend themselves um, so what's interesting in the monitoring world is you know we're getting closer and closer as we work more with Cisco to monitoring things on the network layer um, so you know mean time to innocence is really just as good as MTTR because you can you know, these are the people that we need in the room because the problem exists in their domain. Now about those domains, so we, we just all had this run of KubeCon, which before that we had Cisco Live uh, Cancun, and before that we had reInvent. So can you guys talk about uh, how App Dynamics is working in contexts like Lambda or Kubernetes, given some of those, given some of those events that we've all been to recently? Yeah, I can I can take that question. So I'll start with uh, with 
um, kind of both at the same time. So modern enterprise architectures, for those who aren't familiar with it, uh, Lambda is a serverless architecture. And also Kubernetes is a container orchestrator uh, for containerized workloads. And so we've really seen a, a significant rise in, in actually both of those workloads. Now, if you take a look at traditional approaches of monitoring uh, both of those, uh, I'll take a generic stance, monitoring both of those architectures, is that uh, Lambda infrastructure or just dependent on what serverless provider you use or even in Kubernetes, a lot of what you can observe is generic. Um, so generics like CPU pressure, network saturation, uh, e even um, you know, if you're encroaching certain limits, let's say on, on storage and whatnot. And so the reactionary or the triggers to autoscale those uh, could be uh, very generic. There's basically, it's not application specific, right? So they try to include as much work uh, as possible. Uh, and so what AppB can really help you bring to the table uh, is getting deep insights on what's actually going on beneath the covers. It's more specifically, what I've seen in the marketplace, folks who use serverless technologies, more specifically Lambda, uh, treat the execution portion of the Lambda as a black box. It's just we have a trigger event, it does something, and then we have output. Um, App Dynamics can give you deep, deep insight on, hey, this is actually the intermediate steps or the steps that's occurring, uh, similar to Kubernetes-based workloads. So we can help make sure that your Kubernetes cluster is efficient itself. Also, we can help monitor the applications inside of it. So, um, for example, you're not running out of a uh, resource, or we're not running out of resources as autoscalers kick on. And so very, uh, very powerful uh, capabilities we bring to both of those architectures. Makes sense. So you referenced Lambda and Kubernetes, and those are kind of two very specific, you know, ways of thinking about how AppDynamics interacts with applications. But what are, what are kind of the key challenges that people are having with their applications kind of across the board today? Do you guys see patterns emerging? I, I'll jump into that initially. I'm just like, there's a couple of basic challenges that have been challenges to the enterprise you know, for, for, since technology was invented almost, you know, and, and, and one is, you know, we've talked about the, that kind of discovery and visualization aspect of just like comprehending what all the pieces are and how they work together. You know, and, and, and so that's still a, an existing challenge. And the second one is, is understanding how the environment works. And there's sort of two levels to that. That's baselining and thresholding. So, so, you know, it's basically, you don't want, you can't sit in front of a monitor 24 seven and just to watch if things are changing. So you need to set thresholds to go, hey, this is what it usually is and let me know if it significantly changes. But doing that is a lot of, you know, setting, working out what those thresholds are and how they change through a week is a lot of manual labor. So you're looking for a way of going, okay, the simplest way is just like, what was it last week? You know, last, last Thursday at 12 o'clock, what was it? Okay. If it changes from that this Thursday, that's probably a change. That's probably significant. So, so that's sort of really simple, uh, single variable time-based checking. That's a great way of baselining and, and you know, that's essentially basic in our product. So that's done for you. You know, you don't have to sit down and, and work out what was happening last Thursday, you do it Thursday. So that's the sort of second major challenge. And then the third major challenge is, is sort of addressing the event storm. That when things start going wrong, when things start slowing down, it tends to back up all across the system. And often by the time you get the, you know, the screaming letter or email from the boss or whatever, you know, it's already like everything is red and you're like, well, where, where do I start? Where did it begin? And this comes down to, you know, we were talking about meantime to recovery to address that. But, you know, I think Kyle, you, you came back from the Gardner conference talking about, you know, causation and correlation. And I think that's a key to that. You know, we, what did you get as takeaways that from the sort of conference over there? 
Yeah, so at Gardner Symposium, there was a couple of uh, key topics and themes that I saw throughout the conference. Um, one was, as Marco mentioned, causation and correlation. And alongside of that, to Pete's point, was MTTR. Um, these were two things that people were talking about all throughout the conference. So it's a big concern point, Bill, of finding the root cause of, of the issue. I think that's still the biggest struggle for a lot of enterprises today. Um, the other topics we started to see come up a lot were uh, AI ops. Um, and looking forward to that. That was a big Gartner touch point throughout the conference. I'd say, you know, just pulling it out of my head here, 40% of the sessions I went to mentioned AI ops in some fashion. People are looking forward and trying to think about how can things like machine learning and artificial intelligence help us to solve this problem of causation and correlation? Um, you know, and what can they do to help us predict when issues are going to occur before they happen? So that's Marco. something a lot, of, a lot of folks are thinking about out there. Um, sorry to sorry to interrupt. Marco, can you can you expand on on AI ops? Um, so yeah, that's why I was getting excited. I, I was determined <laughs> not to interrupt Kyle kind of thing, but it's just like it, you know, it, one of the great things about machine learning. You know, we talk about artificial intelligence today, and and you know, there's a difference between artificial intelligence slash machine learning and artificial general intelligence, which is what we would consider sort of human intelligence. But the machine learning side, you know, the, the key thing to understand about it is that it is math. You know, whether it's audio or video or anything else, we break it down into numbers, and it's performing maths on it, and and you know, so, so what you need is something that keeps lots of numbers. And of course, operations and performance management, these are things that keep lots of numbers. They're perfect for machine learning. They're perfect for, you know, we, we apply it already in, in, you know, in simple ways with baselining. Um, it's part of the reason that AppDynamics with, you know, with Cisco behind us that we acquired Perspeaker as, as an artificial intelligence company to bring that intelligence into our operation. And, and you know this aspect of AI ops is—it's just you know I can't think of anything that's a better match for it. Of all of the metrics and things that go on when we're measuring from the infrastructure up, whether it's a you know Cisco hyper-converged environment and all of the sort of hardware and, and and sensors in that, and we can pull those in through APIs. And like we've been talking about today, you know the focus today, of course, is on applications and all the metrics being generated by code. Well, they're all numbers, and they're perfect for the sort of you know applying smart algorithms to. So that, you know, yes, your baselines, but also pre pre you know, predicting the outcome. You know, this is one of the key things, as Kyle was mentioning, of going, hey, AI ops is, you know, there'll be some nice stuff in there, and it's nice if a ticket gets created magically or whatever, but, but the real magic is coming from, the real sort of power of it and value of it is coming from, you know, we've seen what it is, we wound the clock back and we'll tell you what the root cause was. You know, I talked earlier about the event storm and everything's red, and it's like, yeah, but where did this start? Where did it begin? That's what we get out of, you know, out of the capability of the machine learning. We can see what the, you know, we can predict then what the future will be. And um, Cisco produced a, a good paper on sort of around this area on AI ops where they're talking about sort of four stages of operations management from the reactive where, you know, something catches fire and, and, and you fix it and you move on um, to being sort of slightly proactive where, well, you you, you hold a post-mortem afterwards to go, well, what happened and how can we prevent it again? And, and really getting into preemptive where, you know, you're sort of actually going, hey, this is going to happen soon. Everything's getting close to the limits, but it hasn't got there. And for me personally, this is one of the great things in the business transaction that sometimes everything in the environment can be almost a breaking point, but not enough to trigger alerts. But if you're tracking user experience and you've got the overall business transaction in there, then you'll be able to see that the customer's getting a poor experience, even though you're not, you know, setting fire to the data center at this point or setting fire to the cloud, depending on how you're running. 
So I think this thing, of, like, you know, as we get further and better at, what if you never had to react to anything and you could just spend that time instead focusing on making your machine more efficient, making your application more efficient, you know, and that's sort of the final stage where you never have a fire anymore because you're putting them out before they even begin. So, so I, sorry, I'm on my, I'm on my soapbox, but I think that AI ops and machine learning is just fantastic. And I think it's, it's the perfect fit between, you know, DevOps and what we're trying to achieve with agile and coding and scrums and all in sprints and, and making everything faster. And it's like, well, let's also get in front of it and make the machine smarter. Let's make it our slave, make it our servant, right? So that it can do these things for us and, and augment us. Let's make it our slave. Hey, um, Pete, I know you've got to jump, but before uh, you do, really, do, any comments on, uh, any thoughts on AI ops or any last question you want to lob at these guys? No, I, I think Marco's point is really well taken. I mean, I, I, we, we see this with other products we've talked about on the show before, like StealthWatch Cloud, right? That it's, it's not just about like collecting really cool data, but if you can put some machine learning on top of it that, that, that gives you an intelligent baseline from which you can anticipate problems before they become catastrophes. I mean, that's, we're seeing that class of product uh, repeat itself here with StealthWatch Cloud with, with uh, network security and AppDynamics with application monitoring. It, it, I, I think we're going to see that kind of pattern over and over again. And, and that's, that's why I'm excited about both of those products so much. It's a really good use of AI. All right, get out of here, Pete. All right, you guys. Thanks for joining us. You said hello. So, Ravi, I did not hear talk about AI ops at KubeCon. Is it just not an environment where we would have heard it, or was it because I was too busy podcasting and I wasn't at the right sessions? What were you hearing there? What were your big takeaways? So, the KubeCon, I think it's 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 not prime time yet at KubeCon. So. Uh, my big takeaway is like at KubeCon, actually, it's a very developer-focused conference, and so it's it's kind of the next-generation architecture. So this KubeCon and CloudNativeCon uh, kind of coincide together, and so it's if, you were, if we were building the future of application infrastructure, we would be talking about it. Now, the biggest takeaway I had uh, at KubeCon is that how mature the market's getting. Um, comparing KubeCons from years gone by, uh, this is a number of vendors, a number of projects have exploded. I think there were 72 vendors there. If we take a look at the vendor landscape there, yeah, it was, it was huge. Uh, double the number of folks that were there from 2017 in Austin and Seattle. Uh, is that it, the maturity model is really going uh, going forward. We're moving down again. Um, there's a lot of focus on non-functional requirements now. Uh, so something like security, uh, even if we were there, uh, you know, we, there, there was a show of force of APM vendors there. Uh, and showing that the market's getting more mature, I think it might be a little bit off uh, before AI ops gets brought in because it's such a forward-thinking operational focus right now. Uh, it could be a little off for, for the KubeCon crowd, but it's coming. Um, given a couple more years at KubeCon or CloudNativeCon, it would be uh, not that far back in the conversation. So it sounds like they're just they sort of at the conference they're moving from the mature to, into the maturity level, right? It's, it's sort of the next level up of like, okay, how do we make it secure? How, like rather than just how do we get it to work? It's now how do we get it to work well? And that is generally what steps comes in as the next step of then you get into monitoring and then automated monitoring. Yep, absolutely. Uh, okay. Yeah, I saw a lot of um, really neat use case stories where you know different companies talking about uh, the different things they're using it for that you know maybe weren't what anyone thought it would be used for, and that it can handle a lot more. You know, it's you know being used in production environments at a scale that maybe um, was unimaginable last year. So it's pretty insane to see the growth of that community. I mean, doubling year over year over year. It's just yeah. uh, it's, it never ceases to amaze me how many people show up for that event. It was very. I will say it was. It, I. 
I don't know if they expected that many people or <laughs> if they booked the venue before they had that many attendees, but it was a little bit hot and sweaty on the, uh, on the vendor floor sometimes. <laughs> it was always really crowded. Oh, wow. and, uh, you know, usually you're freezing at conferences. Like I've always yeah, got yeah. plenty of jackets and I was, I was hot and sweaty most of the time there. Okay. So uh, while we're on this, on this thread where we're talking about events where you've been and what you're seeing out there, um, let's, let's talk about reInvent as well. That just happened. Uh, how is that different from what you were seeing at, say, KubeCon or Gartner? So, so I might go first, Ravi, and, and then you can give the, the genuine detail. Um, the, the, like the thing that blew me away, because it was my personal first reinvent, uh, was just how huge it is. You know, when you have more than 50,000 people landing in a city, you know, that, that's a, a massive change. And the number of announcements that they made, like they're in every area of technology. And it was funny watching Amazon move from, you know, we're a little remote cloud thing and maybe you should consider using us to essentially, I, I would describe them today as becoming IBM when IBM was at their peak of, of wanting to be a sole source vendor. Um, you know, so, so and watching that transition to, to you know, as, as people are adopting cloud, you know, we, as Kyle mentioned and, and Ravi mentioned, you know, one of the key things that people are still doing, they're still migrating to cloud. They're not there yet. And we even saw that acknowledgement from Amazon in releasing some hardware to run cloud and your own premise or whatever. So they're all over the shop. They're, they're, it's kind of interesting watching the experiment. Um, but I think, you know, the thing to, to be cautious of is that they're now reaching that point where, you know, they have eight databases or 12 databases, I've lost count myself, of all these different databases for, you know, each specific use case. And their ability to bring that together into, into correlation and, and that sort of thing, they're starting to lose track of that themselves. So the interesting challenge will be still a great vendor. The conference started to reflect that and the people I was talking to, that's why the interest around, you know, bringing monitoring and over the top and visualization of just trying to understand what they have. Um, you know, it's still a common complaint that people talk about AWS of like, you know, I, I don't quite understand the invoice that I get each month. I'm not quite sure what all the <laughs> services are, sort of thing. But, uh, you know, from a technical point of view, I'll, I'll, I'll pass over to Ravi to kind of talk about, there were some really solid announcements there and we had some too. Yeah, absolutely. Just comparing like both of those events, I think Marco did a great job that reInvent probably had about eight to nine times as many people as KubeCon. And so it was just a massive show. I think what Amazon does for the marketplace, they really help lower the bar of entry in certain technologies. And so just juxtaposing from like a, tech, a technical difficulty standpoint, and my background is in distributed systems, like the cloud native stuff is where most of my background said, is that implementing, the, the argument can be made that at KubeCon, some of the technology can be overly complicated, right? It's like pure science on paper, we're doing it for feeds and speeds. What Amazon does, Amazon goes and helps you implement those technologies with Amazon guardrails. So for example, if you're looking at a cloud native message broker like Apache Kafka, uh, Kafka could be complicated. Um, one of the big releases actually, I, I saw it got the most claps at AWS reInvent uh, was uh, Amazon's managed Kafka service, right? So folks want to use the technology, but the operational side is too complex. And so that's kind of where it is. Like more of the practice and more of the practitioner would be using AWS service versus maybe more of a there's some R&D or theoretical stuff using stuff at CloudNativeCon. And so really where the rubber meets the road, um, Amazon, for better or for worse, is cannibalizing a lot of that stack. So uh, very exciting uh, for folks to start using the technology quicker. Yeah, and speaking of hot and sweaty, I mean, I've heard of, I haven't been to reInvent myself, but I've heard about the lines to get into breakout sessions and the crowds and just what a big, what, a, what an enormous conference that is. Yeah, part of me wants to go, part of me wants to stay far, far away from it. <laughs> 
It's like the Super Bowl. It's packed. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Oh, so anything else you guys would like to add before I get into my closing question, which is, I and I, I don't think I warned you that I'm going to ask this, but we usually ask all our guests how they got into tech. And uh, so, uh, you know, if you can share that with me. But but at first, any closing thoughts on uh, App Dynamics or the, the competitive environment that you're working in or any recommendations, for instance, you might have for anybody who's kind of trying to approach managing their applications and, and measuring what they're doing and getting insights. Do yourself a favor and look to an APM vendor uh, very soon. I mean, obviously, I'd recommend App Dynamics as we are the best in the industry. Uh, just ask Gartner. We're in the quadrant every year. Um, but do yourself a favor. You know, get to understand your application and really get a, an inside view of what's happening with the performance of your application and save yourself a lot of headaches. Um, the, the level of insight that you get from our tool is just amazing. Uh, before I joined App Dynamics, I was very, very loosely familiar with what APM even was. So when I first saw the demo, it absolutely blew my mind, and I was just left wondering why I didn't have this earlier in my career. It would have saved me a lot of sleepless nights of trying to debug my applications and figure out where the problems really lie. Um, so I just say again, you know, really do take some time and just at least uh, look into an APM solution, uh, an App Dynamics in particular, uh, to to give yourself a leg up when it comes to the debugging process and just finding out you know, what's happening with inside your application. Absolutely. I think my, my tagline uh, gets a lot of traction is it makes the subjective objective. And so, you know, for, for performance, uh, th there's a lot of you can correlate, but a lot of a lot of times user experience is subjective. Uh, and so um, we can make that objective with the business transaction showing this is the actual user sentiment. This is your conversion. And there's no other tool I've seen ever that does that. In my previous life as a uh, app owner, wish I had this tool. Um, yeah. Stop blaming the network. That was a trademark face if nobody caught that. He was giving his salesman pitch there. I like that. <laughs> Marco? Uh, for me, it's the correlation aspect of just, you know, I, I've been on all sides of IT, you know, as operations, development. I've, I've been, I've run product lines. Uh, I've been an industry analyst for a couple of years. And and, and in seeing it from every side, like, I come back to this thing of wishing I had this at a different time. Like, you know, as we as we go from waterfall-type nine-month, 12-month release cycles to, yeah, there's a release coming out each month, each week, um, we can't keep up with all of the connections, and we need to automate that. You know, the old days of you draw it all out on Visio and you print it out on a big sort of, you know, double-wide page and stick it up on the wall, and that's how, that's the application. That's how it hangs together. You know, you cannot keep up that way anymore. You have to look at it how you automate things. And that starts with the basics of just visualizing the connections. And then my passion is how users experience technology, um, and whatever it is, you know, from mobile, from, from any generation and, and, and any type of technology. And, and that aspect of the, the business transaction was the thing that won me over to Apps Dynamics. So just the aspect of going, yep, there's a piece here, there's a piece on the network, there's a piece on the database server, there's a couple of web servers, there's all of these different components. And you need some way of just going, yeah, but this is the actual user experience throughout. This is the business transaction. And being able to tie all of that technology, hardware, software, whatever, into that business model, that's something that, you know, as a product line owner, that was what I was looking for. It was just like, you know, are the transactions working? Is today a better day than yesterday? Um, you know, that's what you're always hoping for. Hey, it, is, it has been a, an utter pleasure speaking with you guys today, um, audio issues aside. I'm going to ask you one final, one final question before we wrap up, and uh, that's how did you get into tech? If you can each take a swing at that. 
kind of always been in tech since we got our first Apple IIe when I was like eight years old. Um, I've always been interested in computers and you know built my first computer when I was like 12 and actually got involved uh, working at an internet uh, service provider when I was about 16, um, fixing computers and fixing people's uh, dial-up internet troubles. Um, and coincidentally, from there, Cisco started offering a CCNA program uh, piloted at my high school. So I actually started working towards my CCNA when I was about 16. Um, and then everything just kept growing from there. So always been in the game. Great, great, good story. Next, Robbie. I think Marco's going last. Oh, ha, ha. Mark, Marco has a more interesting story than I have, but kind of similar story. True. <laughs> kind of similar story to Kyle. I mean, I, I always had a computer. I remember when I was like maybe three or four years old, or even younger. We three had or four. We, we had Prodigy Internet at my house, and, I, and it used to tell me the weather, and I would never understand how the computer knew the weather. I thought gnomes actually lived inside the computer. And I was like, there's no way. I would check outside and look at the weather, like look at the computer screen and check outside and look again. And I would be like, wow, I don't know how this any of this is possible. And ever since then, I was always enjoying uh, using technology, you know, kind of fast through middle school and high school. I was pretty lucky. I went to a magnet high school. Uh, I did four years of CS in high school because <laughs> I was just really into to software engineering. Went to university, just, I got linked up with a really good internship at IBM and just been in software engineering ever since. So then my passion exudes itself. Um, I actually, uh, because I talk too much, as you can see, uh, I was able to join the evangelism team, which we have here. So now I just go and talk that all my production outages don't harm me anymore because <laughs> I'm not in production right now. So. <laughs> oh, okay. You're the grand finale, Marco. I, I can't follow on gnomes. I can't be that, I'm afraid. But yeah, I, I mean, my, my side, my start in technology was actually, I was working as a bank teller in the outback of Australia in a little town called Bicaldon. You already and win. That story already so, wins. So it, the town was so remote <laughs> that the nearest supermarket was 12 hours drive away. But the, you know, and, and my my father got me into it. He would just phone me up one day and say, you should get it. I think this technology is a thing. You should get into this technology. Um, and and I, so I started in operations, feeding paper into printers and things like that. So I climbed through the operations ranks um, and then I swapped over to development and I learned how to code and assembler. I went through that side of it. That's sort of my background. Um, and then I, you know, technology was putting me up in better hotels. Uh, so, and I pursued technology and that's led me. I've lived in three countries. I've traveled to about 35. Um, I've met amazing people in this industry. Like, you know, there are just such social smart people. Uh, and, you know, it's just fantastic for me, you know, think I've, I've, as I say, I've worked on all sides, you know, I've been in operations, I've been a developer, I've run product lines, I've been an industry, you know, the, the opinionated industry analyst and so on. But the thing that kept on coming through was just, you know, the, the love of sharing that knowledge with people. Um, and that's been my problem of why I get on my soapbox in calls like this. Um, but, you know, that's my background. It's always been technology and it's always been that love of just how people use it. Never for itself, never for its own sake. That doesn't excite me at all. It's watching people use it. I love the look on people's faces when they kind of like, you know, they work out how to do something with a, tech, with a piece of technology and they, and they realise that they've been, they realise that they're better because of it. That blows me away. I love that, man. Best story right there. Marco, you win. All right, gentlemen, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to talk with you today. Uh, I enjoyed learning about AppDynamics. Listeners, I hope you'll forgive me. I generally do try to avoid making this show a Cisco commercial, but I have to say I'm a little bit of an AppD fangirl and I wanted to talk to them for a while. So we did dive a little bit deeper into the, the product than we typically would during one of those discussions. So um, 
Thank you very much. And uh, I hope you'll come back, uh, I don't know, six months, maybe a year from now, and give us an update. Love to. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye, guys. Bye. Ciao. Cheers.